0: Welcome back to Free Popcorn. Hopefully, you listened to our first episode where we gave you our top five movies. And if you didn't, then you should go back and check that out. Now that we have given you a small window into our movie style and preferences, we are going to review and talk about our first movie selection for Free Popcorn. This is a movie that doesn't have a ton of substance to it, if we're being honest, and would not be claimed to be a cinematic masterpiece, but is a movie that came out when we were all young that made a huge impression on us in our formative years. Well, at least for me specifically. We'll find out from the others if that's true. For me personally, it is a movie that has always been a go-to if I'm bored and just need to put something on TV. We're going to discuss a movie off my desert island list. Just an all-around good time movie where you hang out with your friends for two hours and not care about the quality. Today on Free Popcorn, we'll be talking about Ocean's Eleven. A super cool casino heist movie with a huge, lovable cast of high-profile actors with a lot of money and lives at stake. So... Either you are in or you are out right now. Good. Here is your one-way ticket to Vegas. Okay, before I go any further, I need to introduce two people that you are familiar with already if you listen to our introduction pod. Um, it's my fellow co-hosts, co-stars, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Mr. Cody Holsey, how are you, sir?
1: I'm great. This is the first podcast I've ever done in my whole life.
0: <laughs> and the other Brand person new to the medium. is uh, my brother. As you learned from the first podcast, I probably I might just refer to him as brother if you know I need his opinion. So if I say that, that means Mr. Chad Meadows, how are you?
2: Hey, brother. Uh, hey, I'm good. Hey, is. Hey, brother. This is my second podcast ever, so I feel like I'm doing a little bit better than Cody. Um,
1: I thought we were doing a radio show.
0: <laughs> this is actually yeah, live. Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. This, this is, isn't a Twitch stream? It's live radio.
0: <laughs> this is on my space page. Um, this
1: is an ESPN show, isn't it? This is how they do these.
2: Now. ESPN plus.
0: Yeah. So if you can't tell already that with this movie review that we're going to do this is going to get way off track and going to get crazy but it's going to be a lot of fun uh we have any podcast involving me gets off track we kind of made up our own categories for these um we may not stick exactly to script on them we tried not to copy other movie style you know movie review podcasts so We're going to because there's just not that much you can do or talk about. Like, you have to talk about certain things to do a movie review. So, we'll see how this goes. This is our first one, Ocean's Eleven. And we will see how this goes. So, I want to start first with just some opening facts about this. I want to get, Cody, I want to know, do you remember where you first watched this? Or your first response when you did watch this?
1: I was in my living room on Print Avenue.
0: How old were you, do you, think?
1: I was probably twelve.
0: And how did it make you feel after the first time you watched it?
1: I'm pretty sure that I rewound the VHS tape and watched it again.
0: <laughs> you liked it that much, you just had to rewatch it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. It was. It was one of those movies that I probably watched
2: more than I should have when it came out.
0: Chad, what about
2: you? Um. So. We would have watched it at home, or at least I would have watched it at home. Um, we didn't go to the movie theaters, so the movie came out December two thousand one. So we probably watched it when it released uh, in two thousand and two. Meaning I was in second grade. Um, <laughs> so I was ai feel uh, like we did I feel like
0: we didn't. I feel like we didn't get it right when it released out on video. It was probably a couple years after that, if I had to guess. Because I kind of remember being like a young-ish teenager. Like maybe seventh, eighth grade, something like that. So you're well, probably
1: like thirteen or fourteen. So yeah, you're about a year older than me. Like yeah,
0: that's 13. about the time it came
1: out on V on VHS <laughs> yeah. DVD.
0: Okay, maybe so it is so like about
2: 2002. yeah, so about two thousand two, two thousand three. Then because I was in second, I was in second, third grade. If you were in seventh or eighth, so uh, yeah, probably was a little too young to watch uh, a, a crime heist movie of this caliber, but. Definitely enjoyed it from the very beginning. Um, I just remember not really understanding everything going on, but really thoroughly enjoying myself from beginning to end.
0: And what kind of drove it for you with the movie? Was just like the actual, like the drop, you know, the twist to it at the end, or was it the people, the cast, the music? Uh, What was it about it?
2: Um,. So basically, probably probably the twists. Just because once again I was in second grade, so I I, I had a short attention span. So you could have shown me a movie without any twists, and by the end I would have been shocked by something because I wasn't probably paying attention for half of it. But um, definitely, definitely the plot points, the twists. I definitely did not think they were going to get away with it. Um, it was it was something that I just remember being shocked by as a as a seven-year-old and uh really connecting not connecting is probably a bad term but really just enjoying the characters uh rusty danny linus all of them and really uh just enjoying it is is the best way to put it
0: yeah the first time i watched it i just immediately it was like my favorite movie of all time but like, if you listen to the intro, we didn't get many much exposure to movies like that <laughs> before. So I think the reason we got it was probably because of the rating. I think it was rated PG-13, and that was kind of like, we were getting on the fringe of that was acceptable for us to watch, especially at my age. So I think that's the only reason why yeah. we got to see it in the first place. But like you said, this did come out in December 2001, the tagline for the movie isn't I mean, it doesn't really exactly grab you. I mean, Danny Ocean is ten accomplices plan to um rob three Las Vegas casinos simultaneously. Yeah. I don't know if that grabs you right off the top. If I was just perusing a video store back then, I probably wouldn't see that and be like, "Okay, that looks fun." Like to me, I said in our Desert Island stuff, it was really kind of the movie cover for me. Like the movie That was cover what I was going to say. The movie cover I was say, like, really if, cool. I knew who the people were, and like all of them together, I was like, "Well, that has to be good."
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Matt Damon is a huge movie star at that point. He like he's done a bunch of like pretty high profile stuff, Goodwill Hunting, and things like that. Then you got like George Clooney has been on ER, which is probably which is like you know George Clooney is George Clooney, but I think like the. The cover of the VHS was, like, really, like, we were. I'm pretty sure we were just at the store, and I saw it and, like, pointed it out. And I was like, look at all these people. And my mom saw it, and we were like, all right, cool, let's get that and watch it. And fantastic film.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was directed by Steven Soderbergh. Chad, do you have a particular affinity for Steven Soderbergh? I mean, some movies that I've seen, I've actually enjoyed, uh, like Traffic. I really like Traffic, even though it's super depressing. <laughs> um, Contagion, which is probably super relevant to what's going on right now. And another also movie super that, I depressing. Liked, that I liked that Cody actually introduced me to a few years ago was Side Effects. Those were, when I was reading kind of his you know, director movie bio, what he's done, those were the movies that stuck out to me. I know his biggest one with Julia Roberts previously was Aaron Brockovich. I've never watched that, and I probably should. Uh, but I just wasn't into it at that time. I should probably go back and watch it now. But Chad Steven Soderbergh is he a director that you respect that you like? I mean, do you go out of his way, go out of your way to check out movies he's come out with? Or
2: uh, I do I do respect him a lot. I do like his style of writing and storytelling. But he is not actually uh, a director that I would bend over backwards to try to go see. Um, I have seen Aaron Brockovich. I have seen a few of his other bigger movies but i've i put a little research into him last night just to kind of see okay let me double check make sure i i got my facts on him and there was definitely a lot of his of his work that i had never even heard of you know he's he's just somebody who uh hasn't really piqued my interest all that much um as far as oceans is definitely my favorite favorite work of his um but i i have watched a few other things and going back for just a quick second uh, going to what Cody said, you know George Clooney is George Clooney. That is actually my biggest uh, drive to watch the movie was George Clooney was Batman and Batman and Robin from 1997 and uh, I just remember going Batman on 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 the TV Robin casinos like that was a big moment for me <laughs> you know just to see Batman again. So that definitely, uh, the cast really is is what sells this for me, not the actual direction. Um, Yeah,
0: let's talk about this cast a little bit. I mean, you got Clooney's playing, of course, the headliner, Danny Ocean. Brad Pitt's playing Rusty Ryan. Uh, Bernie Mac, RIP, playing Frank Catton. Julia Roberts playing Tess, Danny's ex. You got Matt Damon playing Linus. Don Cheadle playing Basher. Carl Reiner playing Saul, Uh, Andy Garcia, Terry Benedict. I mean, there's a lot of guys here. Casey Affleck playing Virgil, Scott Kahn playing Turk, Elliot Gould playing Ruben, Andy Garcia playing Terry. Cody, first, you see this cast of characters. I mean, how could you not watch this movie, right? If you know anything about movies at all, if you saw who was in this movie, do you think that was like the biggest draw to this movie? But not necessarily the actual, about the Las Vegas, the heist itself, but it's like, I want to see these people together. Exactly. <laughs> together. It's
1: just like, it's just like when you get that many people together, like, That are, I mean, even if you just had a movie with Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, and George Clunia as like the leading people, like, and it didn't have any of the other people, people would still go see that movie and it would still be probably a great movie just based on who's in it. But like the fact that you have this many people that are like, I mean, just the crazy amount of like everybody that's in this movie has, like, I can't really think of any other than maybe like Livingston's character, like people that haven't really, I haven't seen anything else. Like everyone else is like, mega not necessarily like George Clooney level megastar, but like Casey Affleck, pretty respectable actor. Scott Kahn, been in a bunch of stuff. Um, Bernie Mac, I mean, a- R.I.P. Andy like,
0: Garcia, like these. Andy are- Gar-
1: yeah, Andy Garcia, Julia Roberts, like it. Just you know, you keep going down the list. Don Cheadle, like. Well, a part Julia of me Roberts does
0: is just like the the peak of her powers during this time, right? Oh yeah like she
2: could make any movie that she wanted to Uh, a part of me does uh really want to know if our love of this cast comes from the original casting or if it's because this movie has aged very well because all of these actors have gone on to do more bigger and better projects and so we kind of look at it with a previous light you know because at the time i mean like you said matt damon you know he had done a lot but he had mostly done just goodwill hunting i don't even think rounders had come out yet had it like you know, I think it had just I think came Rounders out, right? 1998,
0: out. I think, is when Rounders came out.
2: Was it out? Yeah. Like, it's, Rounders it's was just the a 90s. matter. But it's just a matter of you know, like Scott Con and Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck didn't really hit his stride until you know several years later when he actually started directing his own things as well. You know, so part of me is curious. Well, if for me if now, our Sure. if if our rose if our, our rosy look at this cast is mostly just because it aged incredibly well because these actors themselves went on to do a lot or if it just was a true stroke of genius with casting uh from the onset
0: well if you you know just kind of random little facts if you read about it you can read these facts on google but a lot of them to make this movie happen like you can see they they all admit that it was just a movie they were getting together to have fun Like to hang out in Vegas, film together. On their off time, they go gamble or, you know, whatever. And for me now, it kind of has the nostalgia when you look at the cast and see where they are now. Probably the way the people did with the original Ocean's Eleven with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and that whole crew, like the Rat Pack crew. Like it has that kind of nostalgia why people watch the old one, probably in, you know, the 90s or early 2000s when this came out. It's like, oh yeah, Frank Sinatra, D. Martin did that. It kind of has that same feeling now, where it's like, when my kids get old enough, I'm be like, look at this, this had Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Bernie Mac, Andy Garcia. It's just that kind of same nostalgic thing. I think that these people went on and just didn't flame out. They just kept like ascending. I don't know if anyone really peaked at this time. Obviously, people like you said, Cody. I mean, Livingston Dell, played by Eddie Jameson, like. The guy who played Yen, Shabo Quinn, like we don't see that guy ever again. But almost everyone else in this movie that's like the A list actor, this isn't like the end for them. Like it just keeps going. I think that is a huge factor, the nostalgia part of it, Chad, like you said. Um do you think if this wouldn't have been such a star studded cast, Cody, that this wouldn't have done as well? Or have been as Yeah, memorable? I definitely
1: don't think it would have done as well. Like, that's part of the, like, that's the whole thing. Is like, if you don't have this cast, like, this big movie with all these people, like, if you just put a bunch of, like, people that no one knows, like, like you said, that tagline isn't very interesting. It's a remake of a movie that had some of the most famous people, like, at the time in it in the 60s or 40s, whenever whenever they made it. Um, The original one, I think, was 1960. But, like, even then they had... Frank Sinatra and those guys in it and like this movie like if you don't have that big like star studded cast like that I don't think people are you know flocking to the movie theater grabbing it off the shelves at Walmart you know but one thing I will say about like just the movie itself is like the writing and in the dialogue is so good like just the way that they talk to each other like the shorthand they have with each other the all the weird like uh like The different stuff that they, like, talk about, like, where they need, like, a Leon Spinks and, like, all this other stuff, like, like, the made-up different things that they need to pull off the heist where you're, like, like, you're watching it and you don't know what those things mean, but you kind of have an idea, like, based on, like, what's going on and, like, so you're going through and you know, you're watching the movie and they're talking about all this like stuff that you don't necessarily understand, but you know that they understand what they're talking about. And like, it's just interesting. It creates this whole world. It's kind of like the, it's like the John wick, like the movie, the John wick movie is like, they have that currency and like all the like background, like assassin, worlds there but they don't really explain any of it to you You just kind of like learn about it like as the movie goes along and I think that's one of the that's one thing that I always think is good in movies that Rick really catches my attention is when they do a little bit of world building and they just kind of like peel the curtain back just a little bit but they don't like they don't just give it all to you in like a big exposition or anything they just kind of like put it in there and it's like you can pick up on it you can take it or leave it like you don't really know what it means, but you know that it's like part of this world that you're being brought into. And I think that was one of the smart things. Like one of the things that I've always really liked about this movie is just the friendship that it seems like Rusty and Danny have. So like Brad Pitt and George Clooney have like this great chemistry on the screen where like you actually believe, like you could believe that they're best friends in real life, just the way that they have the back and forth and the different things that they say to each other. I know on the last podcast was talking about, the, and we'll probably get to this later, but the scene where they're getting the crew together and they get, they get through and they have 10 guys. So, so they're sitting at the bar and Danny's like, you think 10 ought to do, he's like, you think 10, 10 should do it. Right. And then, you know, Rusty's just got his head down on the bar. They're watching whatever on TV, the preview for the fight. And Danny looks at him and he's like, 10 ought to do it. And then he just looks at him and Rusty doesn't say anything. He goes, you think we need one more? And he's looking around and he goes, you think we need one more? all right, we'll get one more. And, like, that's the end of the scene. Brad Pitt doesn't say a word. He just keeps looking at the TV, doesn't move, doesn't say anything. But, like, just that, like, George Clooney's talking to himself, but it's so good. It's, like, one of those things that, like, it's a conversation that you could see yourself having with, like, your wife or a a really close friend that, like, you just have a, Like good rapport with with each other yeah you know like you know exactly what the other person is going to say before you even ask the question but she asks the question anyway and it's just it's such a good it's just such a good representation of like these two guys have worked so many different jobs together they work really well together that's why rusty's the first person that danny goes to see like that scene where they're doing the poker and like they're talking about like oh i you know what do you do mr you know the actors are all like what do you do mr ocean he's like uh i just actually just got out of prison and they're <laughs> like oh what what uh well, what were you we'll in prison say, for you're jump. you're yeah. jumping a couple categories I know, save that for a category I know, uh, I know but it's just it's so
0: good but to kind of play off that the thing that to me about this movie when i watched it i've i can't tell you how many times i've watched it um But to me, over the years, like the first time I watched it, I'm like, "Oh, that's a great kind of who done it kind of thing," or how they, you know, how they trick you into believing it. Now, when I watch it, it doesn't feel like a heist movie to me. It really feels kind of like a cool magic trick. The way Mm Soderbergh breaks the movie down, Uh, because he basically is selling you an illusion. Like the stuff with Danny and Rusty that they do to Linus, where all of a sudden, you know, Linus is tail and Tess and he sees Danny talking to her and they they have that fake fight and he says Danny you're out it just kind of sells it so it's all on Linus he has to succeed like he's this nervous you know kid doesn't know what he's doing but it's only him he's got to do it I like that about the movie now I mean the other thing I like about it is like you know Saul the whole movie at the beginning he's out because he had ulcers right and he goes the whole movie different scenes he's in pain danny asks him if he's good and then at the end he fakes you know spoiler alert fakes being dead and it brings brad pitt in you know to reviving. so to me it kind of and oh the big one for me is really like the car air freshener that's hanging you know and then swat pulls up they bring it back then you see what's wrong so to me it's a big magic trick And I think that's very very fitting for being in Vegas, because obviously Vegas is kind of like the center where you go to to watch a magic show. (laughs) And that's what it kind of is to me. Like, you look for those little clues. If I watch it with someone who may have only seen it once a long time ago or haven't seen it, I look to see if they can pick up on those clues. Because I think that's what Soderbergh does really well with this movie, is he uses the chemistry of the actors together, So it's kind of like sleight of hand. He's like, look at what's going on over here, but here's what really is going to happen. You don't see that really until the end when they finally break how they actually did the heist. So that's a cool thing for me. All right, next, best scene. Now I know that we could probably pick a lot of these and we shouldn't go super in-depth with this because we're already super in-depth already.
1: (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, yeah, we've gone way.
0: But, uh... That's what this movie does to us. We just kind of, you know, we kind of ramble and keep going because we just like Mm -hmm. it so much. So I'll go first with the best scene I have. We'll kind of go one by one with this one anyways. Um, A great scene for me that I really enjoy, and I have, you know, like four or five written down, uh, but I kind of have to prioritize here. At the beginning, when Rusty and Danny meet with Ruben to uh, get funding for this whole thing, I love that whole scene when they meet with Ruben, and then Ruben does the montage. They do the montage, you know, with the three most successful, quote-unquote successful. Oh, yes. Vegas Vegas. heists. That is my favorite. We've got best quote coming up, and uh, I have a quote from Ruben that I actually love. What you're going to find out throughout this podcast is that I'm a big fan of Ruben. Ruben has, as I've gotten older, Ruben has become kind of like my spirit animal of who I want to be when I'm old. I think everybody wants to be rich, but I would love to just be able to sit around, smoke cigars. The one thing I haven't been able to find that Ruben has, I'm jealous of, is he actually has a cigar holder. If y'all see, you notice that in the movie, he's got that like gold cigar holder Usually, only see it with like women and cigarettes, you know, like mm-hmm. old school slim cigarettes. Yeah, but he's got one for a cigar, and I've always I've been wanting to find one for forever. I love that thing, but that whole meeting with Ruben to discuss funding to get funding, anyways. I love that scene. Uh, Cody, what about you?
1: My favorite scene is probably when they're putting like when they're putting the whole thing together. When they're like getting everybody, so it like starts. Which is really like a twenty-minute stretch of the movie, so it's not really one scene, but like all those little scenes put together, like really are just one of the best parts of the movie for me. So, Danny goes and he sees Frank first, and he says, "He's like, he's like, hey, Frank, and he's like, my name is Ramon. Uh, Ram- hey, Ramon, it's Ramon. <laughs> must <laughs> have like, me
0: confused. I don't know who Frank <laughs> is. Yeah, he's
1: like, you must have me confused with someone else. My name is Ramon." And he's like, he's like, oh, okay, whatever. And then uh, Frank tells him the lounge at Caesars gets busy after one, so like, I'll meet you over there after I get off work tonight, basically. Right. Which is just great. Like they're like immediately you're getting like these like subtle like things here and there. So he's got Frank coming. He's got uh, he gets they get like Livingston, and then like probably the best part of this. There's two of these little little smaller scenes that really are like the best parts of this, which is a the, br- the brothers like the Mormon okay. brothers Turk Virgil and Turk. Turk and
0: Virgil. Yeah, yep. Scott
1: Conn and Casey Affleck's characters, they're out the, they're at the track. Casey Affleck has the uh, the remote control truck. <laughs> <and> Scott Conn's <laughs> driving the actual truck and they're racing. And they get just a little bit down the thing and Casey Affleck's getting ahead and Scott Con just runs it over. And it's just one of the funniest things in the movie to me. And then uh, when Brad Pitt gets Basher from the police after he gets picked up and he's like, uh, he walks over there and the police officers talking to him and he flip, flip, flips him his badge real quick, whatever. And he's like talking to him. And he's like, he's like, will you get Dobson for me? He's like, "Who are you talking about?" He's like, "Just
0: get him, will Gr- ya?" Gregs, get Griggs for me. Who? Yeah, Griggs,
1: Griggs, That's what I mean.
0: Who? Just get him, will ya? Yeah, that. And he, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> And the the other officer just runs off like. These this are things that would never work now, but it just—it's <laughs> yeah. an excellent like. It just makes me laugh so hard, like it's that a, whole scene.
0: It's a great way to show everybody's different personality. And, like, who yes. they will be, like, what their speciality is. I think that's one of the mm-hmm. things, like, the sleight of hand, the magic trick. Yeah. You get to see and, kind of it and how they factor into the whole thing.
1: And you get to see these guys, like, how they work together. And, like, they're all, it, like, they just see each other and they know the cons on. Like, Brad Pitt walks up and, like, Don Cheadle just rolls with it. Like, he doesn't say anything. Like, he knows who he is. Like, they just start going. And it's like, and it's like they've done this before. Chad, uh,
2: what about you? Think, Yeah, so so I'm actually going to say Cody didn't mention my favorite part of that whole uh, montage, which is when they pick up Yen, and uh, Mm. he goes, so which one's the amazing Yen? And Brad Pitt just goes, "Uh, the little Asian guy, and there's like 10 10 (laughs) Asian dudes like, yeah, yeah, he's like, the little Chinese guy, and there's like 15 (laughs) guys on a pole. And and George Clooney's face—he's just so done at that point. I love it. His his little reaction where he just stops and kind of like looks at him—it's so funny to me. Uh, but my favorite line actually comes from uh, Basher and and uh, when when Rusty picks him up, which is when they're running off, and uh, Rusty goes, "Oh, is Danny Danny here?" And he goes, "Yeah, he's around the corner." He goes, "Oh, it'd be great to work with proper villains again." I don't know, I always love that line. He's just like, like you said, he knows (laughs) the con's on, Rusty's here, Hey, he's working with the best. It's great to work with proper villains again.
0: We're about to get to best quote. There's going to be a ton of them, but what's your scene? What's your favorite scene? You the same? You Uh, like the montage the best? uh, My favorite recruitment montage?
2: My favorite scene will probably have to be the big payoff, the big you know breakdown of, of what actually happened in the heist. The when Andy Garcia, mm. uh, his his uh, Terry Benedict starts putting together, all right, this is how they must have done it. It's a fake, you know, they duped the vault, that kind of thing. That whole that whole sequence leading up to him uh, confronting Danny is excellent. I think it's a a very clever and and very well done way to show the audience what truly went down.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that scene because I actually have problems with it. It's actually not one of my favorite scenes because I have questions about it, which we'll get to in a little bit with our skepticisms category. Um, I guess Critic's Corner maybe is what we might rename that. But another scene for me that I like is when Linus is interviewing Frank, in the boardroom with Terry and he gets the codes from me, you know, with the whole, you know, won't let him play, won't let him deal the cards. Might as well call it white Jack, that whole thing. (laughs) I think that's a great scene. I love uh, the scene when they all meet up at Ruben's house. See, big Ruben guy. When they all meet up at Ruben's house, Ruben opens the door. What? You get a group rate and then they're out back and they're talking to each other, you know, Turks talking to Saul you ever been to uh, Pro- Provo, or whatever? It's like no, I haven't gone out there. I think you'd really like it. You'd do well. Like it's just weird chit chat. Like and then they're in the house and he's explaining. You know, Danny and Rusty are going over how they're going to do this or what the actual job is, and that's those are a couple of my scenes that I also like to watch. Like if I see that scene, I'll stick around for that. Do you have any kind of little quick hitter scenes like that that you enjoy, Chad? A quick little little hit scene, I do like the setup of
2: the, um, essentially what is the, the payoff between Tess and Terry when they meet for the first time at the art museum and she goes to kind of go in for a kiss and he stops her and he gives that foreshadowing line of, you know, somebody's always watching in my hotels that she then pays back to him at the end. I, I think that's a really great little foreshadow moment and kind of a good setup for Terry Benedict and really his whole introduction he's more menacing than i remembered him when i was a kid you know watching linus describe terry of of who he is and how he operates
0: cody you have any other little scenes that you like
2: i
1: really like the scene where uh george clooney and julia roberts like meet each other in the restaurant for the first time
0: yes i do like that like that's just
1: like Two like just great actors like they're both like throwing ninety miles an hour in that scene, like they're just like toe to toe at that table. Like there's not a whole lot going on. It's just like a conversation. It's really good, um and we can talk about like just the like. I know I I know I said it earlier, but like I just keep going back to how good the like writing is, or at least the dialogue that they deliver in this movie. Like, it's just one of those, like, they're just back and forth. You can, It's almost like you can tell they were married before, like, the way they, like, just are talking to each other. Like, there's the exchange about, like, Monet and Manet, and it's just hilarious. Well, like, it's not, I mean, it's,
0: let's just get into it. Let's do best quote, because there's, like, there's a lot of little quotes that you could enjoy, but there's a lot of one-liners in this movie that you're just like, oh, yeah, that's hilarious. Like you're talking about with the Monet and Manet, like finished what that with that conversation. hmm Like he had, he's the one that had syphilis. Yeah, he also painted occasionally. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: and they painted occasionally too. <laughs> like that, it's just great. Like the another one that like is just really good. Like just a back and forth is like Rusty or Danny and Rusty are talking about different people for their crew, and like Danny's like Phil Tarrantine, Rusty goes dead. No, on the job skin cancer you send flowers and then Rusty just to end it goes dated his wife for a while <laughs> and just it just, it just does line. back and forth that's just like it just it's so good and it's that stuff where you know like you just know that they've been like they've been in this stuff together for so long that they can just like
0: say whatever have those conversations
1: like you got to walk before you crawl. And then Rusty just turns and just says to Danny, reverse that. (laughs) (laughs) Like It's just that kind of stuff. We're like, they just have each other's back. There's no, like they don't like, no, you didn't say that right. He just looks at Linus reverse that.
0: Well, I think you'll, you'll both agree when I give you this quote from Danny, this is one of the best quotes of the film. It's when Danny and Rusty are up there, they just met again, talking about the heist they had just made the plans uh, or just taken the uh, casino, you know, plans down to copy and all that stuff. And Rusty asked Danny, you know, why, why do this? And Danny says, quote, because the house always wins. Play long enough, you never change the stakes the house takes you. Unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big and then you take the house. You've been practicing that, haven't you? That is the best line <laughs> of me because it's how I approach my trips to Tunica. Is mm-hmm. I'm going in there hard and fast, and if I'm done in 15 minutes, I'm done in 15 minutes. If I hit big, all right, <laughs> I'm going home the safe. Uh, it's kind of like a mantra, you know, you live by, mm-hmm. like, you got to go big or go home. Like It's kind of that thing.
1: That quote's great, but I think the best part of that whole like scene there is that the is like right after he says that because Rusty just looks at me goes been practicing that speech haven't you and Danny just looks at him a little bit did I rush it felt like I rushed it <laughs> he says no no it and was it's great just, it was good no it's great that teen beat teen beat thing was a little harsh
0: Cody for you what's a great quote that you love out of all the one liners um, what's just a, a great quote
1: <sighs> there's so many I mean I always love it when like, I, I, it just kills me every time when Yen is stuck in that uh, box and, like, they think he might run out of air. And they finally get in the safe and they let him out. And he just, like, pops. They they get him out and he just goes, the f*** you been? <laughs> he just yells at him. It's, he doesn't speak. He speaks almost no English for the whole movie. Yes. But that one scene, they, they like, get it. They finally get him out and he's like, where the f*** you been? <laughs> And it just it makes me laugh <laughs> so hard uh, every time.
0: I do love that because it's you know PG thirteen. I mean they had to save their <laughs> one F word. It's, the one F word <laughs> is, and it's yeah, perfectly timed, absolutely perfectly timed. Chad, what about you? A great quote.
2: A uh, great quote actually is going to come from Ruben. Um, I always I always love this quote. It makes me laugh every time when. Uh, they meet out in the back like you were talking, your favorite scene, and uh, Debussy's Claire Lune* is playing. It's when they're about to start the heist, and uh, everyone gets called in. Danny's like, it's not too late. If you want to leave, no hard feelings. <laughs> everyone goes in the house, and Linus is still sitting there, and Ruben walks over and goes, you're Bobby Caldwell's kid, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. He goes, from Chicago, right? He's like, yeah, you like it? Yeah, I love it. Good, get in the guy's house. Like that's that to me. Like his delivery of that line is so perfect. He just goes yeah.
0: good. I get in I, the guy's house. I thought you're going to give another Ruben quote, which I'm saving for my absolute favorite. Because there's there, I'm sorry, but there's the best line of the movie. The best quote of the movie is in the first, you know, fifteen to twenty minutes. I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna go a couple more before I get to it because I've actually practiced this because I want to deliver it right. For the mm-hmm. emphasis. Another one I like is when Linus kind of gives Rusty a rundown in the casino of Benedict's day. And he's following Tess. And they're talking about, you know, getting caught. And, you know, Linus is telling about how Terry Benedict not only goes after you, but he goes after your family and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. so Rusty says, you scared? Linus says, you suicidal? rusty says only in the mornings <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a good like that that's one, a good huh? one too i really like that one Cody, you have another one
1: uh yeah i got another good one um just like when they're um, oh where'd it go i just had it right in front of me i just want to get the line right because like so much of this is like dependent on making sure that you're like you get the words, the words right on these for them to work.
2: Um, I'd say I can, I can do a quick one while you're looking it up. Yeah, go Could ahead. Even, go go ahead. While, so while I'm looking for this, my my favorite from Saw, who I absolutely love, Carl Reiner is is an incredible actor, and I think he gives a very good performance in this movie. Um, but when they're they're all they get in right, they just got Yen out. They're bagging up the money, and it cuts to Saw watching it with Livingston. Bernie Mac and Don Cheadle, and (laughs) Saul just goes, that has got to be the sexiest thing I have ever seen. (laughs) It's just dead silent. Dead silent from everybody else. It makes me laugh so hard. Uh,
0: It's just so... It's just... He's been like this one person the whole movie, and then at that one part, he's the least this the person you're least expecting to say something like that i like it i, yep. I feel like it was kind of ad lib because if you watch don cheetle you know basher in that scene he gives that little like side yep. smirk i oh, feel yeah. like it wasn't it was ad lib and don cheetle was like mm, mm. you know that was great yeah <laughs> gody did okay, you find so- it
1: Yes, I found the one, and this one was really important that I find it. So, like, I love this one because Rusty and Danny are talking to each other, and Rusty starts off, you need at least a dozen guys doing a combination of cons. Like, what do you think? And then Rusty, this is, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but Rusty just goes, off the top of my head, I'd say you're looking at a Boski a Jim Brown, a Miss Daisy, two Jethro's, and a Leon Spinks, not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. And when you hear that line, you have no idea what they're talking about at all. It's great. It's so good.
0: Are you uh? Are you ready for this performance? I'm gonna be Reuben here with this quote. I this think is, I know
1: what you're gonna say.
0: This doesn't have to be the last quote. If y'all have another one after this, uh, this is just my personal favorite one. Like I said, over the years, I've just grown fond of Reuben, and uh, it's back. You know, with it coincides with my favorite scene with. Them talking about, you know, the uh, attempted heists or burglaries at a Vegas casino and no one making it. And it's it's at the end of that conversation. And so Ruben, after talks about it, you know, they're not going to do it, all that kind of stuff. No way. He says, but you guys are pros. The best. I'm sure you can make it out of the casino. Of course. Lest we forget once you're out the front door, you're still in the middle of the fucking desert! <laughs> that is my That is such
1: a good one.
0: <laughs> that is it's my absolute so favorite good. quote And see, Just the way he, you know, is even killed the whole time. Just like, okay, yeah, you can do it. But you're still in the middle of the f***ing desert! <laughs> that yeah, is my favorite thing. <laughs> I'll have a final quote before I move on to... Uh, Critics Corner.
2: Uh, final final quote will actually be to follow up that quote. It's Reuben, uh, who after he gets done saying that, looks at him, and goes, "Look, we all go way back from that time with that place with that thing. I still owe you for that. I got Never some furniture off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they start to walk out. He goes, "I got some furniture. I'll send it to you. Leave your mailing address. <laughs> like it's just just it's their great. whole chemistry it's so with Reuben." I'm glad that whole scene me. is incredible. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now let's get the critics' corner because I've got I've got a lot of them and they're, uh some of these are pretty picky, so I kind of have to. Uh,
1: Can I give pick one more choose? quote that I just love? Yeah, sure, go ahead. And this is actually from Topher Grace. <laughs> so Rusty is teaching them all how to play poker, and they get ready to like to like lay down his hand. <laughs> like at the end and he's like fellas fellas check this all red
0: <laughs> and it's just <laughs> it's a he's got a flush he,
1: no he's got a fl- he's got a flush no he doesn't or he no he doesn't nothing. he doesn't they're making fun of they're making fun of him having a flush but it's just he l- look at this all red <laughs> It's, he's it's so like, serious and proud of himself. It's, like, it's, three so diamond, it's
0: like 3 diamonds. It's like 3 diamonds and 2 hearts. It's two absolutely hearts. nothing. Like yeah. a high card 7 or something like that. Yeah, it's
1: 2 diamonds and 3 hearts and it's just <laughs> and it's so funny cuz he's so proud of himself oh, and it's yes. rusty just <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: It's
1: it's so funny.
0: Now, for my first uh critics corner, this one is going to be picky, but I think it's important to talk about. Maybe okay. Maybe it's not important to talk about, but it is for me. Besides Ruben, how come no one else in this movie has any kind of vice at all? No one smokes. No one drinks. Like, there's, you know... Rusty has a vice. Rusty eats a lot of food.
1: He can't stop eating.
0: That's his vice. <laughs> gluttony. But you're, Rusty, in every
1: scene, he's always eating something.
0: So, okay, gluttony is Rusty's vice, but you're telling me a bunch of heart... You're like... A criminals who are gamblers, feast, but you don't. You know that's the kind of understood thing that I was talking about. Like, come on, someone else smokes in this group. Could I have oh, just maybe. seen that a little bit? Well, no, well, you
1: got Virgil and Turk Mormons, <laughs> so they're not doing anything. That's a
2: great. Oh, I thought you were saying that was their vice. Their vice uh, was no, the fact that's that, not that they're their Mormons. Vice, like, <laughs> they're Mormon. I mean, maybe. Oh, but they're not.
1: They're not smoking or drinking. Yet Saul, he's eating oranges because he needs vitamins. <laughs> um, Ruben is smoking cigars, he's pretty old. Danny just got out of prison. He drinks. I mean not like excessively, but he drinks. Basher blows things up. That's I would say that's a vice. Like just explosives and if you need <laughs> explosives in general, like that's probably a problem. Uh Livingston I feel like Livingston probably had a drug problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just like the way he acts. He Look, was too high strung. strung. Look, the only yeah,
0: mention he... of cigarettes in this movie was when Danny, like the first, like you said in one of your scenes, when Danny met Tess and he said, didn't you notice someone went for cigarettes and didn't come back? I <laughs> went to the gas station <laughs> for cigarettes. But besides that, like, no one's smoking. Like, there's gotta be someone in that group. There's not, there's not, you know... No one in that group doesn't so, just blast.
1: So cigarettes. you just needed more cigarettes. Yes, all I, like if if like one person would have smoked a cigarette, like if you, there just would have been a scene of like Linus and Rusty having a conversation, and Rusty and Linus is just like mowing down a palm mall. Like that's <laughs> that's all you need.
0: You're telling me when they're in the warehouse recreating Terry Benedict's vault, there is not none of them are blasting cigs, and like none of them, and they're just I mean, good hardworking boys. With healthy diets and They're not, they're diets not and good, habits.
1: hard-working boys, but, like, they're professionals, so, like, maybe they just try to stay in tip-top shape for the stuff they gotta do.
0: <laughs> Think they didn't smoke because it, Saul was sensitive to it or something? Yeah, it could have <laughs> been,
1: you know? Maybe he's got an allergy.
0: Uh, I'm gonna throw out a couple criti- critical things that uh, I'll just kind of bounce off you, and then... You can respond to them, or if they're stupid, you can tell me if they're dumb, too. This is just stuff that you notice if you watch as many times as I have. Have y'all ever noticed when Danny and Rusty are looking at the vault layout plans? Have you ever looked at that? It stays on the vault layout plans for a second? Uh Uh-huh. Have you noticed this before?
2: did it stays on the plans for a minute?
0: What does it look like to you, Chad?
2: Uh, It's very phallic in nature. That's uh... (laughs) a...
0: It's definitely a boss. <laughs> <balls>. It's a hundred percent boss. So now, when you watch that movie and you go look at the plans, he stays on it for a couple seconds and he doesn't need to at all. They don't need to see it at all. But it's 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 definitely a, <laughs> a <laughs> Um Don Cheadle plays Basher, His British accent.
1: Oh yeah, it's terrible. And like, it's awful. even in, like, you can even read where like Don Cheadle admitted that it was terrible. And in subsequent movies. Uh, basher reads books on like you he can be seen reading books on how to do accents to practice for his like to use an american accent
2: yeah that is so that they is something acknowledge they, that they acknowledge the in retcon but it is still very unforgivable how terrible his his british accent it's not is unforgivable it's, it's not like it's rough this
1: isn't we're, this isn't lawrence of arabia we're talking about here we're talking about <laughs> a, like an oceans 11 movie that was previously made by like frank sinatra not an oscar winning actor that's like, that's it's not like they're it's not like they're like when they've originally made this movie they weren't making it with like the the creme de la creme of like acting chops it was mm. like these guys wanted to get together and have a good time it was basically like the adam sandler movie formula
0: next criticism
1: way before its time
0: so apparently the casino only had two in-house technicians and this is Livingston trying to get in there to give him quote-unquote eyes and ears on the casino. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, <laughs> how come getting access to the casino and being able to do this job at all completely hinges on the fact that one of these two in-house technicians is in love with the stripper named Charmaine that Rusty happens to know? so they can get the badge that seems ultra convenient to me the whole I don't movie think ultra
1: convenient but Rusty strikes me as a person who knows all of the strippers
2: I'll back that I'll back, back it up I don't like, think Rusty knew her okay he he because he pays her he gives her a hundred bucks that but I don't he think say, that he does says, say but to he your says, mom. hello say to your mom for me. me yeah I think that's him just kind of being funny because she says oh she'll be on in five minutes and his face is more of a shock of like that Wait, makes what? sense. Like That's a good like, point. Okay. That's huh? a good point. She, yeah. I think he's just trying to be funny like, "Oh, hey, say hi, say hi to your mom for me." And she goes, "Oh, she'll be on in 5 minutes." And his face is just shock
0: like, "What? Well, your they, mom's a stripper?" The whole basically the whole movie hinges upon this guy loving a stripper. And I don't know what says Vegas more than that, but I thought that was a great one. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is a that
2: is a good criticism.
0: Another one. When Turk and Virgil, when they're dressed as the attendants and they've got Yen and they're heading back to the room and it's, you know, Virgil says he left his key card or whatever, his access card, whatever he calls it. And they start yelling at each other on the casino floor. And the guy's like, hey, oh, be quiet. What is this? And he's like, oh, it's, it's, it's Mr. Benedict's stuff. Mr. Benedict's stuff. Come on. Is this this guy's first day on the job? How do you just accept two people that you've never seen before who kind of look exactly like this other high roller's bodyguards and also a balloon guy that you had to break up a fight between them just days earlier? How do you just randomly accept this rolling box? And how do you not recognize it? And you just take it anyways and put it in the most secure part of the... Casino,
2: especially without checking it out. He didn't even open the box to see what it what was, was in it.
0: it the, he literally took this guy's word, who he has never seen before. Which, if you know anything about casinos, it, that it's not going to happen. Like they're not just going to see a guy I've never seen before. Oh, he forgot his key card. Ah, uh, sorry, man. <laughs> like they're not going to do that. Like these are like Fort Knox. Casinos are like Fort Knox, and yeah. he just accepts it, like you said. Doesn't look in it. Sees a little Chinese man. (laughs) That's a crit. Is that too critical? Are we supposed to just accept that Cody or I I was,
1: I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. I also don't think this is a movie that you're supposed to like. It's not one of those movies that you're supposed to hold a magnifying glass to. Okay.
2: Uh, But I will say if you wouldn't have mentioned it, I would because not only are they balloon guy uh, hotel attendants bodyguards but they also play the paramedics that come in with brad pitt when saul fakes his heart attack and they are the hotel uh concierge who bring up the food in order to get yen in the first place so like the these malloy brothers have literally been in and out of that place as five to six different people and not once has anybody stopped and gone wait Right? They're two Jethros, not you? Well, that's eye the point.
0: The that sky, is, I in the sky of a casino, they know exactly who you are as soon as you walk in the door. Like they would have known. Like there's something weird going on. Um, yeah. So to be critical of that, here's another thing I was critical of. When Danny and Linus get down the shaft, you know, set up the charges with the trigger, the batteries are dead. Linus just happens to be carrying a four pack in his back wallet in his back pocket. Is that a little too critical?
1: I think that that's one of those things where like, I've never robbed anything before. I think I took a chapstick from a Walmart one time, so that's the biggest <laughs> heist I've ever pulled. But like, I think you know, if you're a professional like thief and like you know that part of your plan hinges on having fresh batteries, that like maybe you bring a backup. Like that that isn't too much of a stretch for me.
2: I would I would I mean, back Cody up on that, yeah, because he even says many... to Danny. You lose your mind in this business for one second and you get hurt or something along those lines. You know, so he, he planned on if the batteries are, are bad, at least I'll have fresh batteries.
0: Okay. So I'm being too critical if, on that one. If they are down there and weird. the batteries
2: are bad, they're just stuck.
1: It does
0: seem Literally, weird, yeah. doesn't it? Like it's yeah. not it's not something you would think of, but I guess they're just that professional no. and prepared.
2: One thing I am curious about though is is it a criticism that uh, they have all these motion sensors, floor sensors, everything like that, and the power comes back on, and Danny blows the door, and yet nobody in the box is, is triggered to the fact that there's just been an explosion in their vault. Like, there's not been a sensor that goes off that tells the the booth. Right. You know, like, they I get w- the cameras were duped, known, but...
0: They wouldn't have yeah. known if Rusty wouldn't have called.
2: Well, yeah, but but on top of that, the cameras have been duped, sure, but how does nobody notice one the floor, the floor sensors the the whatever plus on top of that the physical rumble of an explosion underground underneath your casino
0: now here's my next question i have two big questions about this movie that have always bothered me this is 1a or actually this is 1b when after you know they blow the money in the vault the SWAT team leaves, and it's Benedict in the vault by himself. How in the world did he just piece together in that 30 seconds that it was a staged thing? Like, how did he just, all of a sudden, was like, oh, the mat says Bellagio on it. Look at the videotape. Does it say Bellagio? Like, how, <laughs> why would you even think of that? Why would he even? Because they think had of... it
1: installed last week. He's looking at the floor and going, "I just had this logo installed. Where's the logo? I paid for it." People right, that pay for why things would like he... that look why for Why would it.
0: he even think of that? Why would he even think to look at the mat?
1: He's just looking at the video and going, "Something's wrong. Like that's not my vault."
0: That seems fishy. Like to he think.
1: owns it. Like the vault. Like that vault holds. His livelihood, like that's his his all of them, like not all of it, but like most of his like.
0: I understand he knows his vault. I'm trying to figure out how he would know that it's potentially a staged thing. Was it because, because of if it it's was supposed the, to be a live? If
1: it's, it's supposed to be a live video, he's looking at his own vault, going, "I had this tile installed. It's not there."
0: So you think he's looking at that live video? If he's looking at that video when they were doing the bank robbery, do you think he not notices it then? And not afterwards after they blow it? If it's staged? Huh? I think the that's I think pretty good cue, that's a pretty good one, right? I I think
2: the cue that kind of gets him to start thinking critically about it is the fact that the van that he thought the money was in was filled with nothing but call cards Posters. for hookers for, so strippers. for uh, hookers or for hookers <laughs> they hookers. hookers that's yeah. what, you're actually right yeah uh so i think that's the cue you know when he's when he's in the booth looking at it he's too stressed out and freaked out losing the thought of losing his money that he's not thinking clearly it's only when he realizes he's been duped with there's strippers or hookers and chips in the, in the vault floor and there's hookers on the, in the car. Well, where, where could the money be? And he's like, the only way they could have gotten the money out and the hookers and the, and the chips, then it had to be a fake vault. You know, okay. I think that's, that, that might be his kind of re- When he finds out that the white van was a fake, that's what starts the wheels turning of like, okay, I have been duped. Where could it have gone? And that's when he asks, wait a second. Is there a tile on the floor that says Bellagio? And that's what starts the domino effect.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the only thing I thought of when I was trying to answer it myself when I was writing this down was just the connection of the hooker flyers. Mm-hmm. But still, it's just like, I in that moment, even if I would have saw it, I – I don't know if I'd have really thought of that. Wait, somebody might have made a double of this. Like it just seemed like a very far out thing, but I mean it has to be done. Like that's that's the point of it, right? Now yeah. my my final kind of skeptical critics corner scene. It's a scene that kinda ties in, Chad, with one of your favorite scenes with Tess and with the Terry Benedict. Um, it's actually the scene right after that. This is a scene that I don't even think is necessary for the movie. And I don't even know why it is even in it. And it's the scene when, after Tess, she says that to Terry after getting out the elevator. Everybody, you know, can see everything. And she starts walking. Somebody's always
1: watching in your casino.
0: Someone's always watching. And she's walking, you know, middle of the casino floor, walking out of the casino. Then she kind of slows down. She does, like, her acting in this moment. Mm-hmm. And... She slows down. Then you can see she kind of, like, realizes that she needs to go after Danny or whatever. And starts jogging for no reason. And looks outside and happens to see Danny walk being police escorted to a car. I hate that scene. And she runs up to him. That's my husband. That's my husband. So... This man went to prison for five years. Destroyed her life. We see that four earlier four years. Sorry, we see that earlier in the movie. How much she doesn't like him. She's with Terry Benedict. Danny shows up back into her life, and then she gets this terrible. She sees this terrible thing about Benedict Terry saying that he would choose money over her essentially. So she's heartbroken again now, and then she realizes, oh wait, I was in love with Danny the whole time. And then she just starts running and she immediately wants to get back with him. Am I am I is this dumb? Cuz I think this is the dumbest part of the movie. I hate I that have strip. nothing
1: to say to you here other than love is a fickle mistress. <laughs>
0: Look, I don't think you need this scene at all. I think it takes away from it. I think it would have been better I, if, you had, I, if she would have just been like, everybody, you know, everybody's watching Terry, and she walks off. That's it. They go straight into the Bellagio fountain scene, then they get back at the prison, and, and you know, she's the whole thing, Rusty Rusty picks Danny up, walk back to the car, and she's in the back seat. I think that would have been better than this stupid, you know, I know it's only because like a minute or two in the movie, but she's like, that's my husband. How long are you going to be three to six months? Like it's, not, it's completely unnecessary.
1: Which, which that you just mentioned a scene that also has a really good line in it. And it's just really funny when they drive across, he goes to pick him up from jail and Danny walks out. He says 13 million. And you drive this piece of shit across the country to pick me up. And Rusty just looks at him and goes, blew it all in the suit. <laughs>
0: But, Chad, do you think that's unfair about putting um, that scene out? Or do you think it belongs? I, I
2: think they, uh, they kept it in because they wanted to keep that romance angle. Uh, the one thing I will say that goes for that scene is the fact that she knows Danny and Rusty are a part of this heist. Because yes. she realizes Danny put the phone on her and she sees Rusty and talks to him. In the casino floor while he's talking to Mr. Benedict. Uh, So she knows they are a part of this heist. So when she sees Danny talking to Terry Benedict, he says, If I tell you about the money, you have to give up Tess. And he goes, Okay. She only sees that part. So she sees Danny potentially, who she knows is a part of this heist, say, I will give up $169 million. If you give up Tess.
0: So you think and it's more of that he was sacrificing for her?
2: Yes. She sees it as he was going to sacrifice, which he doesn't. He gives he gives Terry Benedict some line about, oh, I knew a guy in the joint, whatever. He doesn't give him up. But in her opinion, I think she sees that scene, realizes Danny has done all of this elaborate nonsense for her and that he really is turning the corner because he's willing to give up all the money just to be with her. Gotcha. That's that rational. potentially that Potential. potentially could be the
0: turning point. I'm just saying but, it's pretty quick to go from another ex to all of a sudden realizing you still want to be back with your husband from four years ago. Yeah, you especially just absolutely, how rude. Absolutely despised. But how much-
1: But how many people just go back to ex-boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and (laughs)
2: wives? But yeah, but over time. I I agree with Ryan. to To give the six-month break and then she's there makes more sense because it means she's had six months to think about it. Whereas this has literally been a minute after she just had the man she loved rip her heart out. And she's walking through his his casino still upset and just goes, Nah, I'm going to get back with my ex-husband. Like, I kind of, I can see...
0: Yeah, I, my, my I, ex-husband I is is being arrested. Yeah. I think also, that's a great. It would be a much better ending if they would have cut that out. That she was going to get back with him, and just it have been a surprise. I think that'd have been much better, much more effective.
1: But people do weird things when they're like overwhelmed with emotion. Like I, I mean, think of like the worst decisions you've made in your life. They probably weren't calculated decisions. You probably weren't like ah. I'm going to do this and I can see the outcome. Best decisions in your life typically are not made on a whim. They're usually well thought out. You've thought about like what the consequences could be. When your emotions are like all over the place, you don't make great decisions. So like maybe she acted like an idiot then, but she still had the six months to think about it.
2: Oh, I thought so you were gonna say so Still basically so basically the worst decision she could make was going back to them and <laughs> I'm uh... not saying it's the worst
1: decision, <laughs> but what I'm saying is like when you're like overwhelmed with emotion, you're like impulsive and like I mean, think about any time you get pissed off. Like you said you've probably said something that you wish you could take back or wish you hadn't said or something
2: like that. Lord knows I have. I'm just and... I'm just
0: saying it's two minutes you don't need. That's all. Of it. Oh yeah, no. I, that's okay, cool. that's fair. Uh, I would
2: I would I would just sign up with a, I would Although yeah, I will say I, I do I love f- the joke of him saying it'll be three to six months, and then the black screen says three to six months later. I do like yeah, yeah, that, that, that little gimmick. I do think self.
0: that's funny. Now of, of a, this is now getting into something that, that I'm excited to talk about. Uh, this is a category which added late. If we were to redo this movie in 2020. Who would your cast be for this? Now, Chad, I know that you spent a lot of time casting this. I have, I think, I have the perfect solution, and I have the characters for each. Cody, I don't know if you did this as well, but I think you'll really like uh, what I have. But Chad, I came you up with had, a couple ideas. Chad, you had a set uh, cast that you came out with. So, if you're redoing The Ocean's Eleven in 2020, cast. Yeah, so basically, my my thought
2: process behind this was: it is a shot-for-shot shot remake. Nothing changes. No lines are changed. It's just the cast. Who would I switch? You know, for a re for a recasting mm-hmm. now. Um, originally, for Danny, uh, one of the people that crossed my mind was Robert Downey, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Okay. Just because he's a huge name mm-hmm. and he would carry the franchise. But I actually turned him down for somebody who I think would be a more suave, more interesting uh, Danny Ocean. Um, who would kind of follow the steps of George Clooney. And that is, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan from the walking dead and, uh, okay. watchmen. He was, to me, he's got a very suave kind of gruff personality. Uh, I think he could kind of follow that. Um, he was, he was, uh, uh the comedian and watchmen and he was mm-hmm. Negan on the walking dead.
0: Okay.
2: Um, I saw you give a look as you don't know that. Uh, But basically he's, he's got a a very suave kind of uh, almost, almost gruff criminal side of him, but he also can clean up nice and play that kind of, you know, uh, smooth, smooth criminal kind of for Brad Pitt's character. um, I decided to maintain that kind of edgier, but still suave. So I went with Bradley Cooper. I think he could be, I think he would be fun with some of the comedic elements. Uh, for Matt Damon's Linus, I went with a much younger actor because I think even Matt Damon looked too old to play a young Linus who was a pickpocket. I went with Tom Holland. I think okay. Tom Holland could be a pretty fun Linus, uh, especially when he's supposed to be with Frank Catten, uh, who I originally marked as Kevin Hart, you know, a uh, uh, another <laughs> African-American comedian um, right. to follow Bernie Mac's shoes. But I actually changed that this morning because there's that scene there's that scene where where uh, Frank Catton muscles the guy for the car. And uh, to me, Cat Kevin Hart's Williams. not muscling anybody for a car. Uh, so I actually went with J.B. Smoove, who is an actor-comedian. He's been on a lot of TV shows. Um, right. He was in Spider-Man Far From Home. And I think just the scene with him and Linus where he calls him, uh, calls him a cracker and you know it's White Jack, I think J.B. Smoove could be really funny with that. Uh, for Turk and Virgil... I actually went with uh, two younger actors who I think could be really fun and really annoying because that's basically what their characters are. And that's uh, Dave Franco and Christopher Mintzblas. Uh, okay. They're two they're two friends in real life, and I think they could really play that like really annoying brother relationship very well. For Elliot Gould's character, Ruben, uh, this is going to be a hard one for you to hear, Ryan, because you love Ruben so much. But I actually went with Brendan Gleeson. Um, He's an incredible actor. He blew me away in In Bruges, and I think he, giving some of those, you know, big lines that Ruben gives, having that very, like, uh, excellent Irish accent to, to hit his points home would be really fun. Uh, for Carl Reiner, I picked Alan Arkin. Uh, I think just visually, Alan Arkin would be an excellent replacement for Carl Reiner, he was actually originally asked to play Saul. So it would be very funny to have him play Saul again in the remake. Um, for Yen, uh, truthfully, he would be very difficult to, to replace just because he is such an athletic character. Um, so I, I chose Iko Uwe, who is from Indonesia. He is a Malaysian, uh, uh, Kung Fu artist who has been in several great movies like Raid, Raid 2, um, Mile 22, and then uh, a few upcoming movies, big action movies. Uh, but I think he could do the physical side. Uh, for Livingston, I have Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords. I think he has that really nerdy, goofy look to him. That could really be uh, a fun Livingston. And then instead of Don Cheadle for Badger, I have uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Um, he was Baron Mardo and. Uh, Doctor Strange. He's been in several really excellent movies. He is actually British, so we wouldn't have to worry about another terrible British accent. <laughs> and I think just some of the fun lines. He's he's been in a lot of really serious movies and a lot of fun comedies. So I think he could blend the two to make that perfect uh, perfect blend for what we're looking for. For our villain Terry Garcia, I actually have John Hamm. I think John mm. Ham uh, would be an excellent Terry Benedict. And uh, to follow that up for Tess, I have Jessica Chastain because okay, vis- visually I think she just makes the most sense when replacing Julia Roberts in anything. Uh, Jessica Chastain would be an obvious replacement choice for
0: Tess. So for my recasting, I went with something I think that's pretty relevant that I think fits this model very easily. And I think you'll like it once I... Say it here, especially Cody. <laughs> but if you're redoing this movie in 2020, why wouldn't you just use the Avengers cast? Robert Downey Jr. as Danny. I have Gwyneth Paltrow as Ted, but I also solid. have Slash, I've Scarlett Johansson. That. I think Gwyneth probably makes more sense since they already have you know the chemistry on the Avengers. Chris Hemsworth as Rusty. Cool guy. Chris Evans as Linus, because he's always you know the moral person. Tom Hiddleston as Basher. I know Don Cheadle's in the Avengers, but I'm sorry, I can't do it again. Uh, I have Samuel L. Jackson as Frank. I I did Benedict. I did Benedict Cumberbatch as Terry Benedict. Mm. Terry be Cumberbatch. Now, now for Turk and Virgil, I have Paul Rudd and Tom Holland.
1: Because of the name, okay. I, I think that would that. be
0: a great pairing. Livingston Dell would be Mark Ruffalo. That would be Mark Ruffalo for me. <laughs> Ruben. Be good. John Slattery. I think that would be a great one for that one. And then Saul. I'm going completely left field on this one for Saul. Okay. Because he's, you know, for his character, he plays Lyman Zurga. Now, it doesn't make sense at all, but Lyman Zerga being an arms dealer I picked uh, just because they he was sort of an arms dealer. Here. Sort of, not really. I picked J- Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> <laughs> just a completely out of left field Saul. We give Chadwick Boseman that. I got you. Originally when I thought, when I thought of Saul, Turkish. I thought of maybe
2: uh, uh, Mahershi Ali when I mm. originally thought of it. Doing a younger, but with all the like fake medical scares and everything, I thought he might be too young to to play that up. So that's why I ended up going with Alan Arkin. Cody, what do you
0: think about those?
1: Those are pretty good. I like that a lot. I just had—I mean, I didn't really like do everyone. I think there's like a way to work Will Smith into this movie. Okay. Like, I think he could—he could easily be Danny Ocean. Like, he
0: could be Charmaine. And then I th- the stripper. Will? Why would Will? <laughs> why would Will Smith
1: be a stripper?
0: Why not? It's recasting. No,
1: I think for Charmaine you gotta go into darker places on there. <laughs> um, Will Smith, it's the Emily I think Radic-
0: could be or whatever her name is. Yes, Radicowski. there you go. Yeah.
1: So you got Will Smith. I think could be a good Danny Ocean. I also had John Hamm written down for that role because I think just you know Don Draper is kind of, uh, you know the '50s version of or you know whatever. Yeah, '50s version of uh.
0: He already played Madman. He probably hung out with Frank yeah. Sinatra and Dean Martin originally.
1: Yeah, he probably he probably like he's got that he's got that vibe. Um, and then I think you could probably get Donald Glover in here somehow. I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's a world in which he could be Danny Ocean, and he could also be like Rusty, or he could be any number. Like, he could he could play just about anybody. Like right. you've seen him do a bunch of different stuff. So I was um, I was
2: rushing through mine, but I actually had as an alternate for Badger Donald Glover. I thought okay. he could make yeah. a pretty good Badger. No, that would have been cool. Um, are you saying Badger?
0: Badger. Animal?
2: Badger, that's right. Sorry. I wrote it down as Badger <laughs> Sorry. accidentally. Honey badger,
0: honey badger don't care. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, and then this is probably my favorite one,
1: but I think Michael Sarah would be a great Livingston Dome.
0: <laughs> would be a good one. That's a Just good one. Yeah, that would be hilarious. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I could also see Jason Bateman as Rusty.
0: Okay. I don't know if he's quite. Cool enough, like slick, but
1: I could, I but I could see like the sarcastic. He's like, more the sarcasm of a Linus to stuff, me. Like,
0: he's more of a Linus for me, anyways. Uh, That's how I imagine. Actually, in this movie. I
1: could see Jason Bateman being Scott Con, like he could he's be one of the Lord brothers, one of the brothers, and, and and just throw Will Arnett in there as the other one. <laughs> and then you got, like, Jason. Let's recast this as Arrested Arrested. Jeffrey Jeffrey Tambor Jeffrey is. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, Jeffrey Tambor is Saul. Uh, Lucille. David Cross. Lucille David is... David Cross. Uh, Terry Benedict. Lucille <laughs> is... Terry Benedict.
2: <laughs> Lucille I like owns it. a casino. Now, yeah. lasting, uh, our yeah. last
0: category, Lasting Memory. Uh, for me, I think the music in this movie is really cool. Um, it's, uh-huh. it's...
1: A little less conversation, a little more action. Like, that version... This version of that song... Is like my, the best. I think it's the best like audio representation of a movie that I have ever like heard. Like it, anytime I, that song is inseparable from this movie to me.
0: Yeah, just like the you know in between scenes that like kind of like that little kind of like bass line kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I always like that music, and obviously I've like I said in our intro pod, I like the uh, the Blasier Fountain scene starts out with the piano. Mm-hmm. goes into you know the actual orchestrated version of it um and for me like the winner of this movie for me that i always go back to is like that is my guy like i've 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 you know loved ruben the whole time and this podcast haven't really mentioned this guy too much um but brad pitt as rusty is like the unequivocal like this is why i'm watching it is because i'm watching brad pitt's character. Like, yeah. To me Brad Pitt is the best part about this movie. Um, and that's the thing that sticks with me is that if I'm watching Oceans 11 it's because I'm watching Brad Pitt and what he does with Rusty with the food you know we're mm-hmm. talking about the scenes earlier with the poker just like how he's cool with everybody. everybody goes to him if they have a problem teaching Linus you know how to not mm-hmm. be dodgy around Benedict. Don't look down don't look up. You know, use four word don't use seven words or four will do. like he's just a cool person, and you want to hang out with him. and I think that's the big thing about this movie that's a lasting memory to me. it's just it's a two hour movie where you just you're wanting to hang out with these people. and yes, they're terrible people who steal things from people. but that's what this movie is. like it's a hangout movie, and it's just mm-hmm. like you want your group of friends to be like this group. Like just a cool, close knit, have fun with each other, that kind of thing. So for me, that's the lasting memory. For me, it's not like like I said at the beginning. It's not like this great um, feat in c- uh, cinematic history. You know, it's not ever going to be compared like that. But just for like a cool, like college bar buddies kind of movie. <laughs> like it's just you a movie with your friends, and that's how I'll always remember it, Cody. How, how how will you remember Ocean's Eleven?
1: I just remember it as, like, like, I know it's a heist movie, but, like, it's just like a, like, it's it's not a movie about friendship, but, like, it's just, like, the friendship that Danny and Rusty have is, like, the thing that sticks out to me the most. Like, just the way that those guys talk back and forth and, like, just the rapport that they have with each other is one of the first things that, like, it just really stuck out to me the first uh it's the first thing that I think of whenever I think about this movie. And it really like the microcosm of all of it is that scene that I mentioned earlier when they're in the bar watching the preview for the Holyfield Klitschko fight. And he's just like, you think 10 ought to do it? He's like, 10 ought to do it, right? You think we need one more, you know, that you think we need one more scene where Rusty doesn't say a word like that always. And then it continues in oceans 13 when they're like, there's, and he's just like, and she just left a pancake on the floor. Like, what am I, some sort of pancake eater or something? He says, like, it's there's some, like, line like that. And, like, just, like, th- that kind of stuff where they're just back and forth like that. It always makes me laugh no matter what they're talking about. It always, like, just makes me smile, like, knowing that these two are just, like, right there. And it's all, and it's... And, you know, a lot of people talk about how, like, Rob, with Robert De Niro and, like, Al Pacino in the movie, like, Heat and stuff like, like that was crazy to see. But, like, both of those guys had starred in The Godfather before that, but they'd never been, like, scenes together. Um, and, like, this just for me, like, seeing George Clooney and Brad Pitt, like, both just be in scenes together, like, it's just, it's movie stars. It makes star. you like, feel just, like
0: that's how they are in normal life.
1: Yeah, it's just movie. Yeah. It's movie stars being, like, they're just being movie stars. Like it's just fun to watch. Like every like every now and then, like there's just movies where I don't need substance. I just want to see famous people being famous, basically, and and just like not they're not really being famous in the movie, but like just like I just want to see like really good actors just act and like become these other people who are really interesting and like there's not a lot there's not a whole lot of substance in the movie, but the character is really interesting. And I think that's one thing this movie does really well is just like make interesting characters and their relationships and just the chemistry of the actors in this movie is incredible
0: yeah i i think that's a great point chad what about you
2: i i'm gonna say the same thing i think the lasting memory here is the the fact that the chemistry is so on point um the cast and everything on down you know 12 and 13 were not nearly as good story-wise as 11 is but you still watch them and they were still huge hits because they had such a great cast with such great chemistry that you know just watching it is pure fun from beginning to end because you enjoy seeing everybody on screen
0: do you guys before we go do you like uh 12 and 13 as a whole
1: I think 13, I, 12 I'm not too high on, but like I think 13 holds it. I think 13 is one of those sequels that is almost better than the original. Like it's it's like right on par with this movie.
0: See, I actually like 12 better than 13. So, I I actually and That's where we're going to end
1: this podcast because
0: you're
2: 100% <laughs> wrong. That's like, how I, I I like would, 11 better
0: than all of them. So. Yeah, I would rank them the way they came out. 11 is 1, 12 is 2 and 13 is 3. That's my personal ranking.
1: That is terrible.
0: Chad, so, so twelve. You okay with twelve and thirteen? Um, uh,
2: they're all right. There, I would have to rewatch them. Um, the one thing I didn't like about twelve is the reveal, which is eleven does a good job kind of hinting at what the big reveal is, whereas to me, twelve doesn't hint at anything you know you get to the end and realize oh they messed up the egg they all got arrested blah 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 and then you find out they stole the egg a week ago you know it's like why did they even put in the effort just to troll this guy essentially you know like it's to me 12 doesn't hold up i like 13 better just because al pacino i love al pacino um and matt damon trying to seduce ellen barkin is absolutely hilarious with the prosthetic nose um (laughs) So, personally, I would say just for the fun of it, 13 is more fun, Um, but I still think 11 beats both on story and storytelling.
0: I think that's where we'll end it. We uh, finished our first one, guys. Congrats to us.
2: (laughs) Well, actually, I I did have one last little thing that I wanted to do. I said I had a potential idea for a reoccurring bit, which is, how much did Wes Anderson ruin your movie? Um, Okay. So, this movie, with its fantastic cast, I found out some really fun stuff, like uh originally, the two brothers, Virgil and Turk were supposed to play be played by Luke and Owen Wilson, who dropped yes. out to be in who dropped out to be in the movie Royal Tannen bombs. but above that, Danny Glover was supposed to play Frank Catton, who also dropped out to be in Royal Tannen bombs, but even mm. beyond that, Bill Murray was supposed to make a cameo as a lounge singer. And he also dropped out to be in Royal Tannenbaums. <laughs> I find that to be in a hilarious, hilarious sequence of events. And I would be curious to see a movie where Luke and Owen Wilson, Danny Clover, and Bill Murray are in this movie and instead of in Royal Tannenbaums. Well, we
1: I don't also, think it's as good a movie,
0: we also to be didn't, honest. We also didn't talk about Mark Wahlberg being Linus yeah that was also a, like be a possibility but that's a whole mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing maybe we'll save that if we ever do 12 or 13 but don you know.
1: rickles could have been saul <laughs> like that's real too like bruce willis was originally there.
2: danny ocean yeah that would have been poorly that would have been horrible but yeah i thought that was a fun thing when i did the research i thought that was hilarious like they considered johnny Tannen- depth for linus they did you guys talking
1: about matt damon not being young enough
2: i guarantee you steven soderbergh still hates wes anderson he just thinks like that guy stole four (laughs) actors from me (laughs) that dirty rat
0: i like it well guys if to close us up uh glad y'all are on for our first episode had a good time doing it we are going to i should have said from the beginning that um off our desert island movies we're taking one from each of our lists and that's how we're gonna the next couple episodes we are gonna break down so we got to break down one of my desert islands first i think we'll do one off cody's list next so not sure which movie it will be cody will tell us i'm sure but thanks for being on again guys had a great time and hope everyone enjoyed this movie review of oceans 11 go watch it again see if you catch some of the stuff that we did tweet at us we are still under free basketball three on twitter and that is where we're going to post it through is our actual free basketball site so if you listen to us we still doing the basketball podcast and you can check out those episodes as well so thanks for being on again guys
1: absolutely had a great time thanks for having us